Hi, I'm Jeremiah Johnston. Here's the podcast for The Jeremiah Johnston Show. And don't forget, you can also listen live across the Faith Radio Network Saturdays at 11 a.m. Central or 12 Eastern for the entire hour. And if you want your question read on the live show, go ahead and send it to me at www.askjjj.com. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome to The Jeremiah Johnston Show. Combining cutting-edge biblical scholarship with meaningful, thought-provoking discussions and practical answers to your questions. It's time to own your faith and be a Christian thinker with our host, author, Bible scholar, apologist, and president of the Christian Thinker Society, Dr. Jeremiah Johnston. And welcome to the Jeremiah Johnston Show. Greetings to those of you joining us across the Faith Radio Network. And I am delighted our audience is growing every single week for this nationally syndicated program. And I'm also delighted uh, by the thousands of you who listen to this program later through podcast subscription. So go ahead and consider subscribing to the Jeremiah Johnston Show. Well, if you're just joining us for the first time, this is the program that equips you to have a thinking faith, to love God with your heart, soul, and mind. And this is no small thing, according to Jesus Christ in the Gospels. In fact, I want to remind you that Jesus Christ is approached in Matthew chapter 22, verse 35, by a nomikos in Greek. That's a lawyer, uh, how it's translated or rendered in the English tra- uh, traditions. And he is asked um, by this lawyer, this nomikos, this expert in the law, think of a modern-day professor, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And in fact, in Mark 12:28, he's asked by a grammatus, a scribe, similar but not identical vocations in Judaica in the time of Jesus. So this scribe and this lawyer want to know what is the greatest commandment. Friends, this was a trap question. There were 600 commands to choose from um, right out of intertestamental Judaism, and Jesus responds, by quoting the Shema, but as only he can, he actually modifies Deuteronomy 6, and he says, love God with your heart, soul, and he doesn't say strength. He says, love God with your heart, soul, and mind. And so, friends, that's what this program is all about. We equip you every single week by listening to the questions people are asking, so we have a biblical worldview for very real-time, immediate questions. And as we're going to hear in my discussion with Professor Alistair McGrath, we're going to discuss that the job of the Christian thinker is the ability to not only articulate our faith today in persuasive ways, but to respond by answering the questions culture is asking about our faith today. So that's one way this program equips you. The second way this program equips you is by introducing you to the world's brightest Christian thinkers. As we're going to see today with our guest, who's going to be joining us all the way from Oxford, England, Professor Alistair McGrath, among my favorite Christian thinkers alive today, week in and week out, the Jeremiah Johnston Show exposes you to bright thinkers, unique ideas, different perspectives, but we we are all absolutely iron-fisted committed to Jesus Christ. We believe in what C.S. Lewis, it didn't originate with him, but he made it popular 
secular, mere Christianity. We agree on the majors. We major on the major beliefs and doctrines of the Bible, and we don't get lost in the minors. And so that's why this program is so great. So again, thank you to so many of you uh, who are joining us. Um, One thing I want to say at the outset, I've been ministered to in many different ways by Alistair McGrath, who's about to join us. And I want to read an excerpt from his biography of C.S. Lewis. If you don't have McGrath's biography of C.S. Lewis, I want to encourage you to add it to your library. He writes something fascinating about Lewis's conversion, and this is in McGrath's chapter called The Most Reluctant Convert, The Making of a Mere Christian, 1930 to 1932. He says on page 147, in effect, Lewis was confronted with something that he did not wish to be true, but was forced to concede was true. Isn't that a powerful statement? C.S. Lewis didn't necessarily wish Christianity to be true, but he was forced to concede that it was true. Friends, if you have someone in your life and they have no interest in Christianity, keep spreading the gospel. Keep sharing the great evidences for our faith, because ultimately that person we love, that friend we care about, hopefully they will have the exact same experience that McGrath documents that he not only he didn't wish Christianity be true to be true, but he was forced to concede that indeed it was. So I've got to go to a break. Don't change the station. Don't move from where you're listening. Uh, we've got Alistair McGrath holding. He's going to be joining us. I'm going to be taking your questions as well. You can submit those at askjjj.com. Stay with us. 90 seconds. We'll be coming back with Alistair McGrath. Welcome back to the Jeremiah Johnston Show, welcoming everyone listening across Faith Radio Network and the thousands of pastors and Christian thinkers and leaders who also subscribe to our Jeremiah Johnston Show podcast. I'm delighted to have joining us all the way from the United Kingdom today via phone, uh, a hero of so many of ours, a great Christian thinker, philosopher, scientist, and former atheist, Dr. Alistair McGrath. Alistair, it's great to have you on the program today. Thanks for joining us. Well, it's really great to be with you. Thanks for having me. I have in my hand a book that has been such a ministry in my own spiritual development. It's your newest book called Mere Discipleship, Growing in Wisdom and Hope. And I just want to right now encourage everyone to pick up a copy of this book and add it to your Alistair McGrath shelf. I hope you have an Alistair McGrath shelf <laughs> in your Christian library. Um, but why this book now at this point in your career and scholarship on discipleship, Professor? Well, I'm getting old, and I thought it would be very good to lay out some of the reasons that um, that sustain me in my faith, that sustain me in my hope, and also to begin to engage with some of the questions that our culture is asking, showing we can give good answers to those questions. And in writing this book, of course, I've engaged with people like C.S. Lewis, with Dorothy Sayers, with Jim Packer, with John Stott, people who've really helped me grow. And so in many ways, this book is all about growing in our faith, appreciating why it's so resilient and also beginning to make connections that can help us go deeper in our faith, but also help us to reach out to our culture and explain what Christianity is all about. 
And you have it divided up so helpfully in three sections. And you also show in part three of your book that you can give effective short sermons, Professor. <laughs> I just, I, I love your thousand-word sermons. Of course, I'm to give context. Uh, talk about the BBC Radio, how you gave these series of messages. But I think they only gave you a thousand words, was it? That's right. I had to give two sermons for the BBC. One was on C.S. Lewis, one was on J.R.R. Tolkien. And the BBC looked me hard in the eye and they said, you have 1,000 words, no more. And so <laughs> that was a challenge. It really forced me to think, what can I say in 1,000 words? And you, you, know, you can judge how well I did it, but uh, it was a good challenge to rise to. I mean, it makes you really think about what's important. Well, it's fantastic. Well, I want to come back to Mere Discipleship again, a book that I'm holding in my hand, published here in the United States by Baker and then over in the U.K. by SBCK. Um, you talk about in the introduction, Professor McGrath, about reflective inhabitation of the Christian faith. To be a Christian is not to passively, as you write, accept a set of intellectual beliefs, but to take delight in them and explore their implications for the ways in which we think and behave. What does this wonderful statement mean, and how can you project it on the church at large today when you see what's happening in Christianity across the world? Well, I'm an atheist who became a Christian, and as I've um, journeyed in my faith, I've grown in my faith, and I've grown by talking to other Christians, by reading books, by thinking, and it's equipped me to engage some of these big questions our culture's asking. And what I'm saying really is this. Look, don't just be a passenger on the Christian uh, church. If you think of it as being a ship, you're not just a passenger. You're actually actively contributing. You're thinking about your faith. You're trying to say, how does this help me make sense of this? How does this, in effect, help me to explain this to my friends at work who ask me these questions? It's very much about welcoming challenges because they help us go further and deeper in our faith. And so in many ways, this book is simply saying, look, we, we do need to do this. It, it's good for us, but it's also good for the people we're talking about. It helps us to build bridges with our culture and help people realize what is at the heart of Christianity that is so exciting and so wonderful. And what I love about it is you really guide the reader by the hand. You don't really need to have any prerequisites. We have a wide audience that listens to this program, Professor McGrath. We have great Christians who have been in the School of Christ for many decades. And I'm delighted to say we have many new Christians who are just coming to faith in Christ. And what I love is you really explain what discipleship means holistically and the implications of it. And in Chapter 2, you talk about the importance of creeds in the life of faith. Now, that's a term, creed, that some of our audience may be a little intimidated by. Can you please explain that further for us? Well, I used to be very intimidated by it as well. I mean, I just could not see what was the point in reciting these long documents, which often seemed to me to be very, very wordy and not actually very exciting. They were like shopping lists almost, you know, basically just lists of things. And as I've grown older, I've seen that actually it's very helpful to think of the creeds as being like maps. In effect, they're, they're, what they're saying is, look, what we are doing is pointing you to something really important. We're helping you to discover something. It's like the map of a wonderful landscape or an island you want to visit. It tells you what is there and invites you to discover it. And in many ways, these creeds are a bit like maps of the Christian faith. They're saying, here are all the things you need to discover. Here is an invitation to find them and then savor them and appreciate them. And in many ways, the creeds themselves are more like signposts. They're saying, go and find these and think about them. 
And so I find that very helpful because I think for many of us, we're very settled in our faith. And that very often means that there are parts of our faith we don't think about as much as we should. And the creeds are saying, well, you know, maybe you don't think about the church very much, but you should. Maybe you don't think about the Christian hope very much, but you should. It's all about extending our comfort zones and beginning to realize that the Christianity, that the Christian faith is about more than any of us have actually fully embraced. So that's something that's very important for me. It's about going deeper, going wider. It's about allowing the creeds to open up the landscape of faith in front of us and say, Go discover and rejoice in all you find. Now, Professor McGrath, um, we have people that have been submitting questions to us on our website at askjjj.com. We're going to be getting to those in a few minutes, but I do want to talk to you about habits for a moment because that's something we discuss a lot on the Jeremiah Johnston Show. Of course, the mission of Christian Thinker Society, our organization, is to inspire Christians to be thinkers and thinkers to be Christians. And one of the things that we discuss is the importance of, in, of inculcating habits that uh, engage the mind in faith. Jesus said that we're to love God with our heart, soul, and mind. As only he could, he changes the Shema from Deuteronomy 6 and said, love God with your heart, soul, and mind. And you have an entire chapter dedicated to habits of the Christian mind. And can you talk to us also not just about habits of the Christian mind, of course, from your new book, Mere Discipleship, but what habits do you have, Alistair, in your life um, that inspire your own discipleship? I think that habits are very important. It's like an athlete who's training for a race or something like that, uh, or again, a soldier who's training, two very prominent New Testament metaphors, of course. It's all about developing certain ways of acting and thinking, which are helpful in allowing you to grow. It's about realizing that while indeed God and his grace helps us to grow, we've got a role to play as well. We need to help God to help us grow. And habits can be very, very important in this. And certainly I've developed habits which I find helpful. For example, to give you a trivial one, I'm at my best in the morning. So that's when I do my thinking. I do other things in the afternoon. But there are more serious things like that. It's about deliberately reading books, knowing that we won't always agree with them, but realizing that even an author that we disagree with can help us because it's forces us to say, why do we disagree with them? Can we give a better answer than the one that they have given? So I think habits really are important. It's about intentional cultivation of certain ways of thinking, certain ways of acting, which actually help us to grow in the Christian faith. And one of the things we can do is we can talk to our friends and say, tell us what habits have helped you, and then you share with them what you found helpful as well. Something that I think you've done so wonderfully in your scholarship and your ministry, you have discussed the importance of mentorship. You had 10 minutes with a gentleman by the name of Charles Colson when you were at Oxford. Can you discuss how important that interaction was in your journey at that point from atheism to belief in Christ? Yes, I'd love to talk about that, although I need to just say to your listeners that we're talking about an English Charles Coulson, <laughs> not yes. uh, the very much more you. famous American one. But Charles Coulson was a professor of chemistry at Oxford back in the 1970s when I had just come to faith. And I was trying to figure out, look, I used to be an atheist, and it seemed obvious that science and faith conflict. I've become a Christian. Is there a better way of thinking about the relationship of science and faith? And this very senior Oxford academic, who was also a Methodist lay preacher, preached a sermon in which he talked about this. And as I listened to him, I thought, this works, and I can make this work 
in my life. In other words, he in effect gave me a way of thinking that answered my questions and became the basis for my own reflection on these. And that, that in one sense, is what a mentor is. It's somebody who helps you to see things in a different way, who gives you a way of seeing things, which helps you. And Coulson and I stayed together for a while. He, he died of cancer, unfortunately, shortly afterwards, but he really helped me. What I'm saying is, look, I've been helped by lots of people. Maybe I help people myself, but all of us need to ask, are there people who can help us grow in our faith? And in turn, can we help others as well? And so in this book, I talk about C.S. Lewis, I talk about Jim Packer, John Stott, Dorothy All Says, all because I found them really helpful. And I just hope that people who read this book will find them helpful as well. They're like people who hold our hands as we journey along the road of faith and say, look, I found this helpful. Does this help you? It's about being together and sharing ideas. And Alistair McGrath, who you're listening to, has a book that's just been released, Mere Discipleship. I want to encourage you to add it to your Christian library. And we're discussing about the importance of mentorship and relationship, reading, interacting with other wonderful Christian thinkers. In Chapter 8, I loved your section on double listening. Can you discuss uh, Professor uh, Pastor John Stott and his whole notion of double listening? Well, this is John Stott's big idea. And in fact, that, that uh, chapter was originally a talk I gave um, about John Stott in London. And Stott is saying, look, we need to listen very carefully to Scripture to try and make sure we've understood Scripture. Then we need to ask, what questions is our culture asking? So we listen to our culture. And then we say, right, I need to translate into the language of our culture what I'm finding in Scripture. We listen to Scripture for the answers. We listen to our culture for the questions. Then we say, right, can we translate the answers of Scripture into the language our world is doing? And stop saying it's not easy, but we need to figure out how to do it. And I think he did it quite well. I give, I give some quotes from some of his sermons where I think he really um, does this very, very well. But, of course, for all of us, that's important because everyone listening to this show will know one audience very well, the people you work with, the people you talk to, your family. And your challenge is to say, right, I've read the Bible. Now, how would I explain this to them using language and ideas that they can understand? It's about seeing yourself as somebody who can be the bridge between the world of the Bible and the everyday world, helping people to see what the Bible is all about and gradually moving to a point where they can step into that world of the Bible and discover it for themselves. So powerful. If you're just joining us on Faith Radio Network, we've got to take a break, but I'm having a discussion with Professor Alistair McGrath about his new book, Mere Discipleship. In 90 seconds, I'm going to be asking him your questions that you've been submitting to askjjj.com. You're listening to The Jeremiah Johnson Show on Faith Radio Network. We'll be back in 90 seconds. Welcome back to the Jeremiah Johnston Show. This is the show that doesn't tell you what to think, but hopefully inspires you to have a Christian world and life view, loving God with your heart, soul, and mind, according to what Jesus teaches us in Matthew 22:37. I'm joining us today, Professor Alistair McGrath. We've been discussing his new book, Mere Discipleship, published by Baker Publishing, our good friends over at Baker. I want to encourage you to grab this book. We've been discussing the importance of discipleship and the life of the mind and a holistic approach to discipleship 
and engaging um, the Christian community in the world around us and those that don't believe. I want to take a step back, though, <laughs> Professor McGrath, because here you are. Give us more of your testimony, because is it true you were looking for an atheist club at a school called the Methodist College at one time in your life? It certainly is. Uh, when I was at high school, I was a very aggressive atheist. In fact, you know, I sometimes read the works of Richard Dawkins, and I think, gosh, that, that's what I used to be like back in those days. <laughs> you know, very aggressive. Religious people were, were fools. They were, they were uh, unthinking. And I went up to Oxford to study chemistry, expecting that to confirm me in my atheism. But instead, I met Christians who had thought through their faith. They began to raise questions about my atheism. They began to explain what Christianity was all about. And I began to realize that actually atheism was not as robust and interesting as I thought, and that Christianity seemed to be, well, really very exciting. And so I made that transition, and it has been one of the best decisions I've ever made, and I'm still growing in my faith. So it, it's, it's absolutely true. I used to be an atheist. It's amazing. And what I so appreciate is just your honesty. I, I believe that transparency is the new superpower to reach people for Christ. And Professor McGrath, in, in my experience, we're living in these unusual times where we have the most educated Christians of all time who sit in our pews, and yet they're the most biblically illiterate and oftentimes credulous, gullible. Um, why is that? Why, are, why do we have, in one hand, such educated, and I don't just mean degrees, self-educated, um, is it the Internet? What is it? And at the same time, they're dangerous times in that there's such a dearth of biblical worldview and really biblical knowledge in the pews. Why is that? I wish I knew the answer, but you're quite right. It's a real problem. I was talking to a Christian the other day who couldn't find the letter to the Hebrews in the Old Testament mm. because he didn't know it was in the New Testament. And I mean, I'm sure listeners could give many more examples of problems like that. I think one of the things I try to do is this, in this book and indeed in other books, what I try to do is focus in on little bits of scripture and talk about what we find in them and why they're so exciting. And really that's an invitation to go deeper into scripture as a whole. It's about, in effect, uh, focusing in on something that's really interesting, really engaging, and then zooming out and say, look, there's so much more to discover. And, you know, I don't really understand why this is happening, but like you, I'm worried. And so I think I, I find myself more trying to deal with the problem rather than figure out how it's happened. But we do need people to be more biblically literate, more confident about Scripture, and to be able to talk about what we find in Scripture to our culture. And maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe people feel embarrassed or unsure about talking about the Bible to their friends who might be inclined to say, well, look, we don't take that seriously anymore. There's a lot we can say. And very often people who are outside the church are intrigued to know what is in Scripture. And, and you know, you and I can be the people who help them to discover that wonderful world of Scripture and begin to move into it. Well, and Professor McGrath, I want to ask you also, thank you for that answer. Thank you. Um, I want to talk to you about the importance of discernment, because something I picked up from your new book, Mere Discipleship, is that when we have a discipleship in our life, when we have these habits of discipleship, we become discerning Christians. We become, like James said, slow to speak, slow to become angry, quick to listen, 
And I want to give fuller, a fuller context. When I defended my thesis in Oxford now six years ago, uh, 93,000 words on the resurrection of Jesus and Uberlieferung's Geschichte of Resurrection and the Judeo-Christian motif, I had a professor who, if I said his name, many people would recognize him. He's a Bible scholar, but we began my exam with him saying to me, do you believe that Jesus physically rose from the dead? Or he, Then he sat back in his chair, he said, or is that just imaginative storytelling? And I said to the professor, I said, you know, the evidence leads me to believe without a doubt the best explanation is Jesus physically bodily rose from the grave. He paused. This is my viva. He says, I don't see it that way. And that's how my exam began. And even though he totally disagreed with me, he later passed me with commendation. I've published that in Jewish and Christian text series. But I had a discernment in my life where even though this was a man that I admire, a Bible scholar, yet he did not see Jesus' resurrection as something that was credible. You've had similar experiences. I bring up Peter Atkins, who I believe taught you physical chemistry. Um, you've had these other engagements with Dawkins and others. How have you had this experience of discernment in your life where you've heard the things these individuals have said about the faith, but it's not affected you. And I'm asking this for a reason because thousands of people send questions to this program, Professor McGrath, and they're so burdened. They're so concerned about their kids who are at school and they're hearing things, professors, and it's, it's wrecking their faith. How can we be more discerning and how were you more discerning after learning from people like Peter Atkins and others? I think there are two things I've learned, and they're both about discernment. One of them is you really need to listen to the questions people are asking, because sometimes we feel people are asking us questions to kind of confuse us or challenge us or to show that we are wrong. But actually, very often, there are real questions beneath the surface of what seems to be a hostile question. So we need to listen carefully. And sometimes I'll say, look, maybe I misunderstood you, but I think the real question you're asking here is, mm. is there anything that gives life meaning? Well, let me tell you what I found, see if that helped you. So sometimes it's about discerning the question beneath the question and being able mm. to answer that. But the other thing I want to say, and I think this is, this is actually very relevant to people who are worried about their children, for example. I mean, I'm an example of someone who became an atheist as a teenager and then rediscovered Christianity. And the result is my faith is now much more robust, much more informed, much stronger than it ever was in the past. And the result is I'm able to talk to those who, like me, are, were atheists, but who are thinking about jumping ship and wondering how I did it and wondering what brought me to faith. So what I want to say is, in, in one sense, discernment is about trying to figure out what you can do. In other words, not everybody else, but you singular. Is there something about you, your background, your experience, something that you could bring to a conversation or to a ministry that maybe nobody else could? And that really is about discernment. What are your gifts? What has God given you in your history that could be important in apologetics? So think about that and ask, is there some way in which the person who I am could be useful to God in certain ways that maybe nobody else could do. That's a very important thing to think about. If you're just joining us on Faith Radio Network, our guest today on the Jeremiah Johnston Show is Professor Alistair McGrath. We're taking your questions as well at AskJJJ.com. Um, I want to talk about the place of hope because in part three of your new book, Professor McGrath, you talk in mere discipleship about the importance of hope. And in many ways, I think the young generation, especially the generation at university today, I've, I've remarked that they seem to me to be a hopeless 
generation. You, you use a passage in Isaiah, and you talk about we can have hope even in the midst of the darkness. Can you just discuss that for us a little bit further? I think hope really is important. It's like going on a journey, and when you're journeying, you need something that's going to keep you going. And very often what keeps you going is the hope of meeting the people who are waiting for you at the other end. And that, that's, that's really a key theme in the Christian life, that we are not journeying purposelessly. We're not journeying going nowhere. There's actually, we're actually going somewhere really exciting, and it's going to be absolutely wonderful finally to come home. But along the way, there are things that we can do. So it's not about, in effect, being so overwhelmed by the Christian hope that we disregard the world. It's about, in effect, journeying in hope. And as we journey, there are things that we can do to make this world a better place, to help other people discover God. But nevertheless, what keeps us going is the thought that one day we will be with the God who loved us so much that Christ died for us. And that's a very exciting thought. And I, I think, really, that hope is so important, especially in old days. You know, I was talking with Jim Packer um, recently, and Jim is now very, very old, and he was talking to me about how his hope in God sustained him in old age. And I was very wow. moved by that conversation. Mm. I think that's something that we really need to hold on to. Powerful. Again, the book is Mere Discipleship. I want to go to questions now. Craig asks Professor McGrath, atheists claim that belief in God leads to irrational thinking and behavior, including violence. How do you respond to that objection? Well, hi, Craig. That's a great question. I mean, you could say, well, maybe in one or two cases it does, but it's not representative at all. And what you want to say is that Christian faith is not about irrational. I became a Christian not because I abandoned rationality, but because I saw where reason was pointing beyond itself to a way of looking at the world that made far more sense than my original atheism. I abandoned atheism, embraced Christianity for rational reasons. And that's a very important point to make because one of the things that atheists very often do is simply try to sloganize. Everything is all about slogans, not mm. arguments. Religious people are irrational. That's about ending a conversation. Well, you just say, I'm sorry, that's just not right. Let me offer you a challenge. You're saying I'm irrational. You're asking me to prove what I believe. Let me just turn this on its head. Can you prove to me that atheism is right? Well, you know, you'll be there for a very long time because they can't. And one of the things I discovered in moving from atheism to Christianity is that actually atheism is a faith. Think about it. You cannot prove that there is no God. You may believe there is no God, but you can't prove it. And therefore, it's a faith, a way of thinking that can't be proved. And in many ways, the debate between atheism and Christianity is not about faith versus fact. It's about which faith is better grounded. We have two minutes before the next break. On that same subject, I've heard you teach about trust and intuition even more than reason. Can you, can you add that to your answer for a moment? I can. That's, that's one of the points C.S. Lewis makes. Actually, if we are made in God's image, then kind of we're almost pre, pre-designed to have certain thoughts which are designed to bring us towards God. If you like, some kind of homing instinct within us, like the deep sense people have that there must be more to life than what we see. And Lewis is saying, run with that thought. It's a good thought and it points you towards God. It's meant to. And that for me is very important. Intuition, well, it might take you the wrong way, but there's something there. And Lewis is saying, follow it through and see where it takes you. 
Fabulous. Friends, we're going to go to a quick break for 90 seconds. I'm going to be back discussing Alistair McGrath, more of your questions, his new book, Mere Discipleship. Stay with us back in 90 seconds on The Jeremiah Johnson Show. Welcome back to the Jeremiah Johnston Show. I have Alistair McGrath joining us, and we're discussing his exciting new book, Mere Discipleship, put out by Baker, Growing in Wisdom and in Hope. If you've missed any of the previous two segments, I want to encourage you to subscribe to our podcast where you can listen to those. And, of course, share this program uh, with your friends and your family. You've been submitting questions through AskJJJ.com. Um, I want to ask you a question uh, that Libby has sent in through the website. Is there any evidence that people can actually know God or his will, Professor McGrath? Libby, again, that's a, a really good question. Um, the answer is that, that all of us um, have to make decisions about certain things, which sometimes involves if I can put it like this, going beyond the evidence, not because it's irrational, but simply because the evidence uh, isn't good enough to take us to a firm decision on certain things, but we know it's right and can be trusted. So when we're talking about something like uh, trusting in God or knowing God's will, we're always saying, you know, it's not about being able to prove this is right, to be able to trust this is right and act on. That's what discipleship is about in many ways. It's about realizing that we are committing ourselves to a trustworthy God. And as we develop that relationship, we begin to find we can entrust ourselves to God more and more. And that means that actually discerning God's will, for example, discerning God's will for our lives, very often isn't about, you know, um, certain formulae or certain, you know, specific points you might um, lay out on a piece of paper. It's much more the sense I've lived with God for these years, and I sense that this is what he wants me to do next. So in many ways I'm saying that there's always going to be an element of trust in this. We feel that this is what God is asking us to do, and we're going to give it a try and see where it takes us. So in questions about loving God and trusting God and seeking God's will, it's always going to be very much a question of what is it that God wants me to do that maybe somebody else might not do and so it's all about trusting that I can find something to do for God and try it out and see if what this actually if this this actually takes us somewhere that seems to help us grow in our faith and be of some use to God in the world fabulous Uh, again if you're just joining us on faith radio network our guest today is Alison McGrath here's a question that David has emailed in and he writes increasingly the church universal is under unrelenting pressure to capitulate on traditional Christian principles and understanding of human sexuality, how can the church, and he writes capital C, parenthetical note, preserve its historical and scriptural integrity, even as wrongly branded in his mind as bigoted or as haters? I think we, we are in a very difficult situation, and very often one of the problems is this, that um, people feel threatened by by tradition, and so what they try to do is to stigmatize this as outdated, as irrational, as something that a, a modern thinking person could not take serious. In other words, it's being discredited not because of the evidence for it, not because of the quality of its arguments, but simply because people want to be able to displace it with something else. 
And that means two things. First of all, it means that um, this is not really about intellectual argument. This is simply about cultural bullying. You know, in other words, this is what you think. Well, that is simply uh, hate or something like that. And it's very difficult to know how to respond to that. That's why it's so important that we hang together and try and give each other support. But secondly, I think this is important. We do need to think through how we try and present the Christian faith to people who are taking this kind of approach. In effect, saying, look, I think, you, you know, I understand you've got some concerns about Christianity, but I'm wondering if you've missed something that's right at its heart. And try to put your finger on what it is about Christianity that really has been able to sustain it for, well, 2,000 years. And that's something very important, because very often those who are ridiculing tradition, in effect, belong to schools of thought that are very, very recent indeed, and have not got 2,000 years of history behind them. Short answer to a very good question. Excellent. Thank you, Professor McGrath. I keep your book, C.S. Lewis, A Life, uh, this critical biography, um, right behind my desk where I write and work. It made a profound impact on me when I read it a few years ago. And Professor McGrath, we have many uh, Christian leaders who listen to this program. They're all at different places in their journey. Um, and then we have quite a few seminary students. And I was reading on page 207 of your biography on Lewis, where you discuss his first speaking engagement with the RAF, uh, where afterwards you write, Lewis took a gloomy view about his talks. As far as I can judge, they were a complete and utter failure. And you wrote that Lewis eventually learned how to adapt his style and vocabulary to meet the needs of an audience he had never encountered before. Can you discuss how relevant that that paragraph is for those who are going into ministry speaking or even into professorships right now? Well, I certainly can. And Lewis is a really great guy to engage with, by the way. He says so much that's helpful. But Lewis, in effect, was very used to teaching Oxford undergraduates. He was very, very skilled at that. Then he was asked to talk to a totally different audience, and he felt he had failed. But he hadn't, actually. And the fact that he thought he'd done badly made him say to himself, right, I'm going to try and do better. I will learn how to speak to a new audience. That's what I want to say to anybody listening to this program who shares that anxiety about speaking. Lewis had to learn how to speak to an audience, and you and I have to do the same. Don't feel overwhelmed. What you do is you begin to realize you can learn from this process, but you will always find that whatever you start with, you can do better than this, and gradually you will find that you grow better. You know, when I started preaching, I remember someone saying to me after one of my first sermons, Alistair, we thought you were saying something really important, but we haven't quite figured out what it is yet. And I thought, you know, I need to learn from that. <laughs> and I have, actually. So just see yourself as on a journey. You'll grow. And maybe other people can help you by saying you weren't as clear as you could have been. Don't see that as a threat. See that as being helpful. Learn, move on, and trust. It really is so important, and it comes back to your point in mere discipleship about uh, when we disciple, when we're being discipled, we have people who disciple us. They can speak into our life, they can speak into our ministry, and don't be offended by it. Uh, engage and embrace with it, um, Professor McGrath. We have time for just a couple of more questions, and thank you so much again for your time joining us here on Faith Radio Network. Um, you've you've said some you've said so many wonderful things that I think the Holy Spirit has used in my own journey. I love it when you said science tells me how I came to be here, and again for the benefit of our audience. We're talking to a man who is a scientist. 
What do you mean when you say science tells me how I came to be here, but faith tells me why I'm here? I think one of the things that we need to make clear is science is very, very good in telling us how things work. But we need more than that. We need to know what they mean. Or let's go further. I mean, it's not just about, for example, how human beings work. We need to know that. Otherwise, you know, when we get ill, what are we going to do? But much deeper is this. Why am I here? What is my purpose? What I'm saying is that science fills in part of the big picture of life, but only part. And we need more than just knowledge of how the world functions if we're going to live meaningfully in this world. Christianity is absolutely wonderful in explaining what it's all about, why we're here, what we can do, the difference that each of us can make. And that's why, going back to a, a topic we talked about earlier, we journey in hope. And while we journey, we can share this hope with others on the way. So for me, that's really important. Meaning matters. You said in a talk I listened to 12 years ago now, you defined apologetics in one of the clearest ways I've ever heard it defined, Professor McGrath. You said that apologetics, and I remember it almost word for word, is all about making sure the Christian faith connects up well with the questions our culture is asking today about our faith. Can you discuss how important it is for every Christian to engage with the questions people are asking today? Thank you. The real problem we face is that people see Christianity as an answer to yesterday's questions and hence of no relevance today. What we need to do is be able to translate our language into what Lewis calls the cultural vernacular. In other words, the, we need to actually think about how we translate our language into today's language, but also answer the questions that people are asking. They're still asking deep questions about meaning, about value. One of the questions that our culture is asking is this, do I really matter? People use social media to try and present a facade, but behind that facade, very often, they are uncertain, they're, they're worried, they have no hope. And what we need to do is be able to show how Christianity engages those deep cultural anxieties, talking about meaning, hope, love, all these things our culture needs to hear. And each of us needs to figure out how best we can do this with the people we're talking to. Our final question for you today, Professor McGrath, and again, friends, I want to encourage you, if you're just joining us to listen to this entire interview, go back and listen to it on the archive at Faith Radio Network's website. Uh, I'm talking to Professor McGrath about his new book, Mere Discipleship, divided up into three very helpful parts, uh, parts of which were originally lectures, sermons, and then Dr. McGrath's uh, taking out of the laboratory of his own Christian life what discipleship means. It's one of the clearest answers to how we can do discipleship well today in our own Christian life. Professor McGrath, uh, as I mentioned in one of our earlier segments, I think that vulnerability is the new superpower to reaching people. I was shocked um, after receiving 10,000 text messaged questions in my ministry, Christian Thinker Society. My number one question relates to suicide and mental health in the Christian life. I was shocked by that. Uh, that was made a profound impact on me as far as answering the questions culture is asking about our faith. In fact, I said recently the number one apologetics issue of our time in my mind is the Christian response to the mental health crisis in our world. It's something that I think all of us need to engage with more clearly. But I ask all of my guests, 
If they could ask Jesus any question right now, what would it be? Or I just simply ask, what is your own personal unanswered question that perhaps you've struggled with or perhaps you've already transcended it? Uh, But it's been remarkable listening to the answers from wonderful Christian men and women, great thinkers like yourself. Uh, Do you have an unanswered question that Alistair McGrath struggles with? I would love to ask Jesus this question, not because um, I haven't got answers, but because I think my answers aren't as good as they could be. And the question I would love to ask Jesus is this. We live in a world full of broken, damaged people who need hope. Can you tell me how to explain how you bring hope more clearly? Because that's what I'd love to be able to say to these people. So that's the question that I would bring to Jesus. I think I've got some answers, but I know I need better answers. And I know that the only good answer I can give is Jesus himself. Mm, So powerful. Again, our conversation today has been about mere discipleship with the wonderful Christian thinker, preacher, Professor Alistair McGrath. Dr. McGrath, thank you so much for joining us on the Jeremiah Johnston Show. Thank you for blessing the church with your latest book, Mere Discipleship, and we hope that you'll come back and talk to us again with your with your upcoming books that I'm sure are already in the press. <laughs> <laughs> it's been wonderful being with you. Thank you so much for having me. God bless you, Professor McGrath. We'll be back taking more of your questions on the Jeremiah Johnston Show. Stay with us. And welcome back to the Jeremiah Johnston Show. This is Jeremiah. Thank you so much, Alistair McGrath, for that fantastic discussion. And what do we do when we inculcate faith in our lives? We keep listening. We keep learning. We keep growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so here's what I need you to do. I want to encourage you to subscribe to the Jeremiah Johnston Show podcast. Why? Because I want you to have immediate access to these programs downloaded on your smartphone device. You can do that with iTunes. You can do that with Google Play. And of course, you can listen to all of our archive programming on the website, the Jeremiah Johnston Show website at Faith Radio Network. We produce a blog every single week that summarizes the program. We do that really for evangelistic and discipleship purposes. You can go to the website and then share the radio show blog on your social media platforms. We want to spread this great content that we're gleaning, uh, the opportunity that I have to answer your questions from a biblical worldview to teach you in our power teaching segments, and then the opportunity to encourage you by introducing you to other fantastic Christian thinkers like Alistair McGrath. Please subscribe to the program. Take advantage of these wonderful resources as we equip you to be dynamic Christian thinkers. Um, While Alistair was talking, I was thinking about other highlights um, from when I read his book on C.S. Lewis. And I think there is something that is especially germane to this program. On pages 152 and 153 of McGrath's critical biography of C.S. Lewis, he makes the point that Lewis's process of conversion to Christianity is actually quite rapid from atheism to faith in Jesus Christ in the critical elements of Lewis's conversion. And I'm summarizing this, but I want to drive home a point. The critical elements of Lewis's conversion to Christianity took place over the process of just 10 days. How did it happen? What got C.S. Lewis to thinking 
giving in to Christianity, as I said in the intro, conceding that it was true. It began with a conversation with a couple of friends, one among them, of course, Tolkien, you know, the famous author of The Lord of the Rings. So I want to just pause for a moment. When we're blessed to be Christian thinkers, we don't do that to be the smartest person in the room. We don't do that because the scriptures say that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. We become Christian thinkers to build up the body of Christ, to encourage people around us, and to engage in Christian apologetics with Christian conversation. So here's some immediate next steps, having listened to this program today with Alistair McGrath. Number one, who are you having faith-filled conversations with right now? In fact, you can take so much of what Alistair and I have discussed on this program today. We've discussed faith and science. We've discussed going from atheism to Christianity. We've discussed what it means to inculcate Christian thinking in our lives. You can take that immediately to the coffee shop with your friend. So immediate next step, start having gospel-centered conversations, apologetic-oriented conversations with someone around you. Use it to build up the body of Christ. Don't ever walk into a Sunday school or Bible study. You know, I'm the smartest person in the room. You know, everyone look at me. No, that is not the point. The more we know, the more comfortable we are in our faith, the better listeners that we become. And so we walk in with great humility because we're always learning. We're always growing. Iron is sharpening iron. Secondly, I want to encourage you to keep building your Christian library. I read something in Publishers Weekly this week that I want to share with you. Friends, it was just astounding to me. In fact, it was one of those yikes moments. I read this quote in Publishers Weekly. 45 million people read more than 11 books in the last year. I would be in that column. Perhaps you, hopefully you are as well. 90 million people read 1 to 11 books in the last year. But get this. That means 192 million people in the United States did not read a book in the last year. Christian thinkers are readers, just like leaders are readers. So please build your Christian library. This has been a great program. Thank you for joining us on the Jeremiah Johnston Show. And definitely subscribe, connect with me on social media, follow us at Christian Thinkers Society, and of course, pray for us because we are praying for you. See you next time on the Jeremiah Johnston Show. Hi, I'm Jeremiah Johnston. Thanks for listening to the podcast from The Jeremiah Johnston Show. I definitely want to hear from you, so if you have a follow-up question from today's program, you can submit it to me at www.askjjj.com. You'll also see how you can connect with us from there across social media. And don't forget, these conversations are available because of listener support. And you can make a gift right now to the Faith Radio Network at www.myfaithradio.com. And to avoid missing future editions of The Jeremiah Johnston Show, please subscribe to the podcast at iTunes. You can do a Google Play, RSS feed. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of the program.